And welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Anchor.fm. I tell you, it is so great to have you uh, tuned in to yet another broadcast of Sunshine USA. Uh, we actually have two editions of Sunshine USA. Some of you may not be aware of that. Um, we have one edition of Sunshine USA, which actually appears on Blog Talk Radio. And on that particular edition of Sunshine USA, I am currently teaching through the Bible, one chapter at a time, starting with the first chapter in Genesis, going right on through the very last chapter in Revelation. And I enjoy doing that. Uh, we've been at it for a while now, and we'll be at it continued for even future. <laughs> I mean, even further for a lot further into the future. Uh, in other words, it's a lengthy project. <laughs> Uh, when will we get to the last chapter in Revelation? I have no idea. Right now, uh, today, for example, we just started uh, in the very first chapter of uh, the book of Esther. Now, we talked about on the broadcast today how Esther is such an unusual book in that it almost didn't make the cut. It almost didn't get included in the uh, canon of the Bible because of the fact the name of God doesn't appear anywhere in the book of Esther. But um, if you listen to today's broadcast on Blog Talk Radio, uh, you will find that I give an explanation of why it finally made it into the book of the Bible. And also you can find out what actually happens there in the first chapter of Esther. And um, you can tune in to that broadcast by simply going to Blog Talk Radio dot com slash his radio or I should say biz radio uh, that's B-I-Z radio and you will be able to listen to that particular edition of uh, Sunshine USA. Now uh, on this edition of Sunshine USA which occurs on all the podcasting platforms except for blog talk radio I take more of a topical approach to Bible study and we will be speaking on different topics, and we will even have various topical series on this particular edition of Sunshine USA. On the last broadcast, for example, we started a series of messages um, concerning the Apostle Paul. I, I pointed out on the last podcast that Paul is one of my favorite characters in uh, the Bible, except for Jesus Christ. And we know that he wrote a lot of the New Testament, for example. He wrote 13 or 14 books in the New Testament. Bear in mind, there's only 27 books total in the New Testament. And that depends on whether or not you believe Paul wrote Hebrews. And, of course, I do believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. There are many reasons why I come to that conclusion. And you'll have to listen to the last podcast in this series in order uh, to find out the reason why for that. Now today we're going to be addressing the topic uh, which is titled, So You Want to Be a Preacher. So You Want to Be a Preacher. And I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And here Paul will be giving Timothy uh, some qualifications that the minister of the gospel is expected to meet. Uh, now, Timothy, of course, is a young preacher that Paul has sort of taken under his wing to teach him everything he knows about preaching, everything he knows about being a minister of the gospel. And I'm assuring you that was a great opportunity for Timothy. 
that opportunity there was probably worth more than any seminary education could possibly provide you with. Um, and I like what Chuck Swindoll said about the first seven verses of First Timothy chapter 3. He says, these qualifications for being a minister, we should take note of the fact that no man totally 100% measures up. Because you see, as ministers of the gospel, we have to keep in mind that we're sinners saved by the grace of God. And unfortunately, when we got saved, our sin nature was not eradicated. Our sin nature was not destroyed. And so we have to constantly do battle with our sin nature. But these are nonetheless qualifications or we should say qualities that a minister should try to include as part of his life and calling as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know, <laughs> I feel at times so unworthy to be a minister, because I know that my life is not perfect. I know that even at my very best, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. Sometimes, like you, I mess up. <laughs> I'm not happy about it. I don't get filled with joy about it, but that's basically just the way it is. But my desire and my intention is to be the best child of God that I know how to be with the help of Christ. Amen. So I want you to keep that in mind as we look at these first seven verses in First Timothy chapter 3 as we take a look at the qualities of being a minister of the gospel. Like I say, this particular message is titled, So You Want to Be a Preacher. <laughs> okay, First Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1. This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of bishop, he desireth a good work. Now, let me point out a couple of things here. Paul is not suggesting by any means that it's possible to simply wake up one morning and decide, you know, I think I'm going to be a preacher. Or maybe you're sitting in a high school classroom and you've got a high school teacher that asks the question, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> now, you know, sometimes I think one of the most unfair things we do is to expect an 18-year-old to know what they want to do with all the rest of their life. Asking an 18-year-old, what do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> it is very, very hard to answer that question. Sometimes even, you know, in the adult world, maybe you go in for a job interview and your prospective employer asks you the question, where do you expect to be five years from now? Where do you expect to be 10 years from now? Where do you expect to be 15 or more years from now? These are not always easy questions to answer. We don't always know. So Paul is not suggesting that it's possible to wake up one morning and say, you know, you know, I thought about it overnight, and I, I think maybe I want to be a preacher. You see, Paul knew as well as anybody that in order to be a preacher, there has to be a special calling of God upon your life. This is not something that just anybody can do. 
God doesn't call everybody to be a preacher. He does, however, call some people to be a preacher. And, of course, as a Christian, our desire should be to be anything and everything God wants us to be. So if someone says, I desire to be a minister of the gospel, hopefully it is because they recognize the fact that God has placed a special calling on their life to be a preacher of the gospel, to be someone who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, <laughs> Paul says that if you have been called of God to be a preacher of the gospel, it is a great thing. Now, by the way, let me say this. Let me say this. If your primary goal in life is to be a millionaire or make a lot of money, don't go in the ministry. Because let me tell you, there are many professions in this old world that pay a lot better than being a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I can tell you from experience that if God has called you to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you can know, you can know that it is going to be a life that brings a lot of satisfaction, a lot of fulfillment, a lot of joy. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. In fact, the fact that it's not always easy, the fact that sometimes it's very difficult, is all the more reason you need to make sure that this is what God has called you to do, that it's God who has called you to be involved in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you're going to need the assurance of God's call in order to help get you through the tough times. Then I want you to notice what it says in verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. Must be blameless. Now, as I said at the very start of this broadcast, we are not blameless in the sense of sinless perfection. There's not a one of us as Christians today, there's not even a one of us as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ today that can say, look at me, I'm perfect. I've never sinned, I've never disappointed God, I've never done anything wrong, because just as sure as you say that, you will be committing a sin. Why? Because it's not true. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And by the way, it's not just talking about unbelievers there. It's also talking about us as believers. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody, everyone. Now, like I said, we don't glory in that. We don't take any pride in that. And certainly, one thing about a Christian, we cannot sin and enjoy it. But yet, it's true. We're not without sin. But the Bible says here we are to be blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? I believe it means that as a minister of the gospel, you need to make sure that you were saved and know Christ as your Savior. 
Because think about it this way. What does Christ do for us when we get saved? I'll tell you what Christ does for us. He makes us blameless. He makes us justified, which is justified never sinned before. And so therefore, the minister of the gospel must make sure that they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Otherwise, you're never going to make it in the ministry. I think it's so sad that once in a while you read about ministers who attend a revival meeting, they walk down the aisle and they get saved. Now, I think it's great, by the way, that they got saved, but I think it's sad that they were in the ministry any length of time at all, not being a Christian. I think about a church that they've been pastoring where it couldn't have possibly gotten the leadership it needed because if you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, you can't possibly give the church the kind of leadership that it needs. You must yourself be a born-again child of God. So if you're feeling called of God to go into the ministry, it's always important to ask yourself this important question. Have I been saved? Do I know Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord? Now, let me assure you that in the event that you haven't been saved, in the event that you do not know Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, then you can be assured that it is the will of God for you to get saved now, before it's eternally and everlastingly too late. I tell you, you know, we're just one heartbeat away from eternity. One heartbeat away from eternity. None of us knows when we're going to die. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto a man once to die, and after this to judgment. The Bible says it's appointed unto a man once to die. God knows that I'm going to die one of these days. He knows when I'm going to die. He knows where I'm going to die. He knows how I'm going to die. He knows whether or not I'm going to be doing anything stupid when I die. I hope not. But the Bible says it's appointed unto a man once to die. And I would hate to die, ladies and gentlemen, and not know Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. You see, getting saved and coming to know Christ as your Savior, that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the key to becoming blameless. Not that we're without sin, but God makes us as though we were without sin. He makes us justified. Justified never sinned before. And that's such an important thing to take note of. He says, must be blameless. Uh-oh. <laughs> now here's where I run into controversy a little bit. I had somebody sent me an email the other day and they said, you know, Warren, one of the things I like about you and your ministry, you're not afraid to address controversy. And, and you know, I, I thank God that they see that. And I thank God that God has made me that way. And, and in fact, now that I'm 65 years old, going on 66 years old, 
the older I get, the less I care what people think about me. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the less I think, more the less I think about what people think of me. So I'm not afraid to address controversial subjects. I always take the position if someone wants to be wrong, they have the freedom to do so. Amen. But now let's see what the Bible says here. It says, must be the husband of one wife. Now, the big question here is, what does this mean? Must be the husband of one wife. Uh, I heard one time about this country church. They were without a pastor, and they had a young man that they were considering as pastor, but the church was having trouble deciding whether or not to call this man as a pastor. The reason why was because he was not married. In fact, he had never been married. And many questioned whether or not he was qualified to be a pastor due to the fact that he was not the husband of one wife. In other words, they took this particular verse to mean that the preacher had to be married. Now, they asked me for my opinion on that, and I said, well, here's the thing. In my opinion, Jesus was a pretty good preacher. I don't think any of us could argue with that. I don't think I know any Bible scholar that would question that. Jesus was a pretty good preacher. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus was never married. Jesus was not the husband of one wife. Amen. Amen. You know, that, that <laughs> to me, that would be agony for a wife to be married to a perfect husband. Amen. But Jesus was not married. Now, did that disqualify him from preaching and teaching? No. Not at all. You see, I don't believe that this part of the verse means that for a preacher to preach, he has to be married. Look at Paul. Now, many Bible scholars and theologians have argued for years whether or not Paul was married. And by the way, I might add, there's a wide range of opinions on the subject of whether or not Paul was married. I had one person send me an email. They said, well, of course, uh, Paul was married because he refers to Timothy as a son in the faith. And, and you see, that's just it. Timothy was his son in the faith. Timothy, however, was not, was not the biological son of Paul. Timothy was simply a young man who had gone into the ministry, and Paul had sort of taken Timothy under his wing, trying to be the best mentor to him that he knew how to be. But it would appear that during his New Testament ministry, Paul was not married. Now, some people theorize that Paul must have been married at one time. Why? Because he was not only a Jew, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And as a member of the Sanhedrin, they argue, it was a requirement that all members of the Sanhedrin had to be married. Therefore, they conclude that Paul must have been married at one time. 
Now, to be honest with you, I'm not sure that Paul was ever married. Maybe he was married at one time. Maybe his wife died during childbirth. That was a common experience back in those days. We don't know. But it seems clear that from the time Paul is converted to Christ on the road to Damascus onward, he is not married. Now, there's many reasons for assuming that. Number one, he never talks about a wife. He doesn't talk about any wife in the present tense or any wife that he used to have. <laughs> now, if Paul was a typical preacher, Paul would not be able to go, go long without working his wife into one of his sermons. One time I heard a, a preacher's wife give a, a testimony on a Christian TV show. She said, you know, one of the things about being a preacher's wife, you have to accept the fact that time and time again, you're going to be an example in one of your husband's sermons. But you see, with Paul, this never happens. If Paul ever had a wife, he never talks about her. And therefore, if he ever had a wife, we certainly don't ever know what happened to her. It's anybody's guess. But it appears that Paul was not married during the time of his New Testament ministry. Therefore, if marriage was a prerequisite for being an ordained minister the way some people see it, then Paul would not have been qualified. But once again, Paul is one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. I don't think I can preach half as good as Paul preached. And yet, as far as I'm concerned, Paul never had a wife. And he certainly didn't have a wife at the time of his New Testament ministry. And in fact, when you consider all that Paul did in the ministry, I think it really would have been very difficult for him to have been married. Because you see, if he had been married, he would have had to make time for his wife, that's understandable, and therefore he wouldn't have been able to do all the traveling that he did. He wouldn't have been able to do all the preaching that he did. So, for those reasons, as well as many others that I don't really have time to go into right now, I personally take the position that Paul was not married at the time of his earthly ministry. Now, let's read on. Uh, what does this phrase, the husband of one wife, mean? Some people would ask this question. What about a pastor who's been divorced? Is a pastor that's been divorced disqualified from the ministry? My answer to that question is no, I don't think so. Especially if the pastor chooses not to remarry. Because you see, in that setting it could still be said of him that he is the, pat, the husband of but one wife. In other words, he does not have two or more wives. 
And by the way, many scholars believe that what Paul was addressing here was actually the subject of polygamy. You see, polygamy was a big issue in Paul's day. There were many believers, for example, in Paul's day, who felt like there was nothing wrong at all with uh, a minister of the gospel having many wives or, or believers in general having many wives. And so Paul is trying to preach against the idea of polygamy. But anyway, let's read on. It says here must be vigilant. Now this word vigilant means watchful. It means careful. You see, here's the thing, folks. Those of you who are in the ministry, you need to be aware of the fact that Satan can destroy overnight a ministry that it took you a lifetime to build. Many preachers down through the years have found that a one-night roll in the hay, a one-time roll in the hay could destroy a ministry that it took them a lifetime to build. And so as ministers of the gospel, we must be watchful. We must be careful. Because it's so easy for Satan to trip us up and to cause us to do things that we ought not be doing. And if we're not careful, it can shipwreck our ministry before it even gets started good. And so the Bible says here we are to be vigilant or watchful, careful, okay, sober. Now, the word sober in this usage here refers to the fact that we are to have a clean, pure mind as ministers of the gospel. Now, by the way, I do believe ministers ought to be teetotalers as well. In fact, I think Christians in general ought to be teetotalers. And we'll get more into that in a few moments. But right now, the word sober here means that we are to be of a clean, pure mind. Now, that means, of course, for us as Christians, we have to be careful what we watch or listen to on the Internet. Now, I know better than anybody else that the Internet can be a great place. For example, the, men, the Internet can allow us to do ministry in places where it would not, not otherwise be possible for us to go. I know, for example, when I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ on the Internet, I know that my message, my sermon, can go into countries around the world that I cannot begin to go to in person. Uh, for one thing, right now, when it comes to physical limitations, I'm more physically limited than ever before. Whenever I go anywhere, for example, I have to use a, a walking cane or a walker. It's very difficult for me to spend any great length of time walking on my own without assistance. I find myself facing all kinds of physical limitations that I have never faced before. But yet, thanks to the Internet, I can still travel the world 
and in fact carry the gospel into countries where it's not even possible to send missionaries. Uh, the other day I got an email from a listener in a country that is currently off limits to missionaries. Missionaries cannot travel to that country. Why? Because it's much too dangerous. You would be literally putting your life on the line to go into some of these countries. And yet you could safely carry the gospel of Jesus Christ by way of the internet into a lost and dying world. I thank God for the fact that my, me my messages are archived. So quite literally, I am preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and you know what? I thank God for that. I mean, I really thank God for that. One of the things I like about Anchor FM is the fact that I can carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world up to one hour at a time. There are some podcast sites that limit you to 30 minutes, or even in some cases, 15 minutes. And they limit you to once a day. I don't face those limitations, by the way, with Anchor FM. I can preach anytime the Spirit of the Lord leads me, whether it's daytime, nighttime, or whatever. And I can preach, like I say, up to an hour at a time. Amen. <laughs> and if I do a couple of one-hour broadcasts today, let me tell you, I've preached about all that day that my voice can probably hold up to anyway. Amen. But I like the fact that I could be sound asleep in my bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and somewhere, somewhere in the world, somebody is listening to one of my sermons on the Internet. I, I, I just think that's incredible. I think that's amazing. One of these days when the Lord calls me home, one of these days when I die, guess what? I'm still going to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ on the Internet. Folks, I'm here to tell you, I get excited over that. Amen. Okay, now let's read on. Must be sober of good behavior. I don't do much commentary there because I think that's pretty much self-explanatory there. The preacher is uh, to be well-behaved. Given to hospitality, I think the preacher, for example, ought to be one of the friendliest, most helpful people in all the world. If anybody has a reason to be happy, if anybody has a reason to have a positive outlook on life, it is the preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is to be given to hospitality. I enjoy talking to other people. I enjoy ministering with other people. I enjoy interacting with other people. That's one of the ways, by the way, I know that God has gifted me to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It also says here, apt to teach. Apt to teach. You see, as a minister of the gospel, I need to not only have the ability to preach, I need the ability to teach. 
And I think a lot of times we don't have enough of that in the pulpit today. Sad to say we have some pulpits in America today where the preacher chooses to talk more about politics than about Bible doctrine. Now, I have certain rules that I put into effect for my own ministry. One of the rules that I have in effect for my own ministry, I don't allow myself to talk about politics on the radio, television, internet, or in the pulpit. Because it's not important enough for me to talk about it. Instead, I would rather talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I would rather teach what the Bible has to say by way of doctrine and prophecy, because you see, that is so much more important. I think today we have too many people in the pulpit that feel like they've got to be entertainers. Now, I think we should do everything we can to spice up our sermons and to make our sermons just as exciting as they can be. But guess what, folks? If you're a preacher, you need to realize and recognize the fact that God has not called you to be a comedian. He has not called you to be an entertainer. He's called you to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is what you need to concern yourself with being. Amen? You need to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not an entertainer, not a comedian, not a politician, but focus on preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible. That's what it's all about. If you've truly been called of God to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says here in verse 3, not given to wine, now, this is where I believe it means that as Christians and as ministers, we are to be teetotalers. I don't drink beer. I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink wine or champagne. You will not find any of that in my house. No, never. Have no use for it. It has no place in my life. I tell people, look, I am silly enough already. You don't want to find out what I sound like when I'm drunk. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. And by the way, it's sad. You know, they say if all professing Christians refused to buy alcoholic beverages, you know what? We would probably put the alcohol industry out of business. But the reason the alcohol industry survives in America today, for example, we have too many Christians that don't think it's wrong to bring a case of beer home from the grocery store. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Now, some people think at this point, this is where I've stopped preaching and gone to meddling. I'm just telling it like it is, folks. It says here, not giving a wife to wine, not a striker. It says no striker. In other words, we're not to be argumentative. We're not to be violent. We're not to go around always looking for a fight. You know, I, I listen to some preachers on the radio and television, and it sounds to me like they're looking for a fight everywhere they turn. Well, folks, I got news for you. 
Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. I'm a lover of souls. I want to tell people about Jesus. I don't have time to argue. I don't have time to debate. I never try to win an argument. Because to me, it's much too important to do any of that. My focus is that on preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible. To me, folks, that is what it's all about. One of the things I like about the Internet, especially with an email address, is the fact I can invite people to share prayer requests with me. I can invite people to tell me about the different problems that are going on in their life. And I can assure you, if you send me an email, I will answer you. I will personally respond to you. I don't have a team of secretaries doing all that for me. I do it all myself. That's the one thing about being a poor ministry. We don't have enough money for a big staff. So most things I do myself, including answering my own mail and email. Now, by the way, if you'd like to shoot me an email and ask me a question or send me a prayer request, it's very simple. WarrenLandis at Yahoo.com. All lowercase, WarrenLandis at Yahoo.com. That's all the email address you need. And like I say, I'll be glad to respond to you and uh, get back with you in person myself. That's a guaranteed promise from me to you. It says here, not a striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre. In other words, as preachers of the gospel, we're not to be guilty of making a dishonest dollar. Now, I don't think it's wrong, by the way, for the preacher to be adequately paid for the work that he does. I know some deacon boards, they have already made up their mind. As long as their pastor is pastor, they're going to keep the pastor poor and humble. I don't think that's a biblical attitude. I think if you're in a leadership position in the church, it is your duty and your responsibility to pay the preacher as much as you feel like you can afford. The Bible says the laborer is worthy of his heart. Now, by the way, that cuts both ways. That means the minister is to make sure that he is worthy of his hire. He needs to make sure that he is earning the money that he's being paid to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a very important thing to be able to do. Amen. Glory to God. Okay, now let's read on. Uh, it says here, um, must be patient. It says, but patient. You know, it takes patience to lead someone to the Lord. You know, a lot of times leading someone to the Lord is a process. I told someone in my Sunday school class the other day, I said, you know, I try to maintain a most wanted list for the Lord. In my mind, I keep a list of 10 people that I would most like to see come to know Christ as their Savior. And when that person comes to know Christ as their Savior, that person comes off my list and somebody else goes on my list. 
But I do know it has to require patience. We need to understand, for example, when someone gets saved. They are not instantly going to be everything we think they ought to be as a Christian. Because like I say, growth and development and maturity as a Christian, it's a process. It takes time. Um, let's read on. It says here, not a brawler. Once again, not a fighter. Not covetousness. Not covetous. You know, I think covetousness is at the root of many of the crimes that we see committed today. We want to have something nice because somebody else has something nice. You know, if your neighbor gets a brand new car, guess what? You want a brand new car. If your brother or sister gets a brand new car, guess what? You want a brand new car. And it might even be you want a nicer car than what they got. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you know, covetousness. In fact, that's actually one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. I think in terms of biblical attitude, it's important for us as Christians to be content with that which the Lord has given us. Now, that, that doesn't mean that ambition is wrong. It doesn't mean there's anything sinful about ambition. It doesn't mean that I don't desire to do better. It doesn't mean I don't desire to improve myself. But the thing about it is, I am contented with what the Lord has already allowed me to accomplish and accumulate. And I'll be just as happy if the Lord gives me additional opportunities to prosper or if the Lord never allows me to prosper. I'm content, as Paul said, whether I find myself with plenty or nothing at all. Paul said, whatsoever state I find myself in, I have learned therein to be content. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, most of these are things I could say a lot more about, except for the fact I'm trying to take into consideration the time. In verse 4, we see one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? Now it says here, he must ruleth well his own house. Now, when I was doing my internet radio broadcast on Blog Talk Radio this morning, one of the things I pointed out is that I believe it's the will of God for the man to be the head of the house. Now, that doesn't mean the woman doesn't have anything to say. It doesn't mean that the wife is void of any personal opinion. And certainly when it comes to the big major decisions, I believe very strongly that the husband and wife should spend time talking it out, weighing the pros and the cons of a particular situation, and then praying about it. But at the end of the day, it is the husband who is expected of God to make the final decision. And whatever final decision the husband feels led of the Lord to make, the wife needs to comply with that decision. 
she needs to submit herself to the leadership of her husband. And the same applies to the kids. Submit themselves to the leadership of their dad. Now, the only exception to this is where you have a husband who wants to do something that is illegal or immoral or unethical or something like that. But otherwise, the Bible makes it very clear that the man is the head of the household. The woman is not the head of the household. Now, once again, that doesn't mean she's not entitled to her opinion and to share her opinion with her husband. And it might be when she shares her opinion with the husband, the husband might turn around and say, you know, I think that's a good idea. Maybe we'll, we'll think about that. But if the husband disagrees after prayer, then the wife must be willing to submit herself to the leadership of her husband. Otherwise, she ceases to be the wife that God intends for her to be. Now, by the way, be careful, guys. This is not permission to be a ruthless dictator. The Bible does not give you permission here to be a ruthless dictator. But the Bible is indicating, the Bible is indicating that you are to be a person who ruleth well your own house. That you are to be, in fact, the head of your house. I mean, that does seem to me to be what the Bible is teaching us here. Okay? It says here in verse 6, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation, uh, into the condemnation of the devil. In other words, the minister of the gospel is not to be a new or recent convert to Christ. When I was a student at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, this was back in the early 1980s, New Orleans Seminary at that time had a rule that said that in order to enroll as a student at the seminary, you had to have been a Christian for at least a year. Now, it's been a number of years since I was last a student at New Orleans or any other seminary, so I don't know if that rule is still in place or not. They might have since done away with that particular rule, I don't know. But at least when I was a student there, the requirement was that the um, ministerial applicant had to have been a Christian for at least a year. If you had got saved just a month ago and you applied to the seminary to be a student, you would be told that you need to first take time to grow in the word and mature in the faith. And then a year from now, if you still feel called of God to go into the ministry, then at that point we'll be glad to take you on as a, um, a, a student here at the seminary, uh, assuming, of course, that you meet all the other requirements for being in the seminary. Bearing in mind there were academic requirements and things of that nature. And then we come to verse 7 where it says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. And so the Bible tells us here 
that the minister of the gospel must have a good report of them which are without. In other words, the Bible is telling us here that the minister of the gospel is to have a good reputation. When people uh, think about a preacher, they shouldn't think of the preacher as being a man that is corrupt or unjust or anything like that, immoral or unethical. They ought to see him as being a genuine minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as I say, as ministers, we need to keep in mind that we're not without sin. We are not perfect. But we are to be blameless, as I said earlier in this message, indicating that we are to be made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. We must know Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. Now, these are some things you need to think about if you feel like God might be calling you to go into the ministry. So I hope that you will take these seven verses, read them again on your own very slowly, very carefully, and think about what these verses mean. Now, by the way, I don't mind saying we need more preachers in America today. We need more preachers in the world today. And I get excited whenever somebody walks down the aisle of a church and they put their hand in the pastor's hand and they say, Pastor, I believe God has called me to go into the ministry. I think that is a very great decision. And by the way, when someone makes that decision, we as a church need to stand solidly behind that person. We need to prayerfully support that person. We need to financially support that person and make sure that we are all that we need to be in helping that person develop as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the things I take great pride in doing is doing everything I can to mentor young ministers. Just like Paul served as a mentor for young ministers like Timothy and Titus, I want to be used of the Lord to mentor young ministers who feel led of the Lord to go into the ministry and basically teach them everything I know as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amen. Now, by the way, I, I know that there are a lot of questions that come to mind here a lot. Now, I want you to